Chapter 30 So, when a man is pierced by the shafts of Venus, whether they are launched by a lad with womanish limbs, or a woman radiating love from her whole body, he strives toward the source of the wound and craves to be united with it and to transmit something of his own substance from body to body. Titus Lucretius Carus on the nature of the universe, circa 54 BCE. Hey, Nazi tranny wrangler, over here. It's a clear, sunny day in mid-February, and Buenaventura calls at me outside the downtown public library. His breath floats in the air, but a slight trace of perspiration still lingers on his brow from ballet practice. We embrace, and he grips my arm as we walk toward a number 19 bus stop, our boots in sync down the sidewalk. I'm so excited to meet Babette, he chirps. After everything I've heard, do you think she'll like me? I laugh. Not if you call her a Nazi tree. A half hour later, we arrive at Tolman Street. Inside, the odor of onions nearly overpowers us. Buenaventura tarries, wide brown eyes absorbing the clocks, Mauser rifle, antique furniture, and scenic oil paintings. I take his hand. Come on, let me introduce you. In the kitchen, my professor bustles about, la russe gastronomique, propped open amidst garlic cloves, onion peelings, and an entire defrosted duck. She looks up as we enter. Babette, this is Buenaventura. Usted es vegetariano? she asks. Buenaventura shakes his head. No. No puedo asumir estos días. Ah, but I will reluctantly persevere in English, for the sake of poor monolingual Ross here. I shrug. Sorry for the grave language deficiency. May we help? Absolutely. Babette sets Buenaventura to work chopping celery while I peel potatoes. Once boiled, my professor bids me slice and fry them in oil with parsley. She splits the duck into quarters and sets each simmering on the stovetop with generous quantities of tomato sauce, celery, and onion. As they bubble away, she leans against the counter and fixes Buenaventura with curiosity. So, Ross informs me you have family in Mexico? Buenaventura nods. Yeah, I was born here, but my family comes from the central region. We visit every couple years. Babette smiles with delight. Oh, I adore Mexico. In the past, I led tours everywhere, from Baja California to Mexico City and Oaxaca. Well, the history is so fascinating, but Americans know none of it. An entire country just hours away that might as well be another planet, for all people care. Such a shame. But look how this relationship with Europe began. The oven emits spurts of steam as my professor launches into a lecture on Hernando Cortez and his conquest of the Aztec Empire. Tomato sauce spatters her apron when she gestures enthusiastically with a wooden spoon. Buenaventura engages her, full of questions. I silently set the kitchen table with gold-rimmed china, enjoying their congeniality. At last, each dish is ready, and we sit down together. Fantastic! exclaims Buenaventura. Everything smells and looks delicious. Thank you, Babette and Ross, for inviting me over. My professor waves a hand at the feast. It is nothing. I quite enjoy your company. Consider yourself welcome any time. But no more delay. Let us eat. Her prompt is unnecessary. We tear into the duck, pausing for bites of red rice and stewed vegetables. Before long, our bellies are completely stuffed. I pop the cork on a bottle of Samos dessert wine and begin filling glasses. Babette turns up her palm in refusal, but Buenaventura accepts a blue-tinted goblet. 
Would you like to see pictures from some performances? He asks my professor. I just got prints today. Why, certainly, Babette replies. She dabs her lips with a red serviette. Buenaventura reaches into his backpack and pulls out a packet of photographs. Okay, these first ones are from a noise music show at the club we dance at. They had one guy on guitar, another on synthesizer, and that's Ross playing hammers and scrap metal. My professor squints. Ross, what on earth are you wearing? I laugh. Orange coveralls and a gas mask. Very fashion forward, don't you think? Babette rolls her eyes and crosses herself with exaggerated motions. Buenaventura flips through more shots. They started losing the crowd, he notes. So Ross threw a metal toaster in front of the audience and attacked it. Here's a shot of him punching the thing. Didn't it just tear up your knuckles? They are still bruised, I admit. How avant-garde, Babette comments dryly. Buenaventura moves along, showing several from our dance piece. So, here's how I set up our relationship. Ross, as my husband, is completely unappreciative, even though I try to please him. Babette grins at this. Very typical among males in general, and of course, Ross in particular. Hey now, I interrupt. The others laugh. Okay, okay. Buenaventura continues. Then, he hurls me down on stage and rapes me. It was super brutal. Really got a strong reaction. My professor snatches away the picture. In it, Buenaventura lies helplessly on his back, blue velvet dress pulled up. I straddle him, teeth bared in a snarl. <gasps> oh, Babette exclaims. Your true nature revealed. What an image. Thank you very much for sharing these with me. But I unfortunately must retire. Company taxes me terribly. Buenaventura, you are such a delight. As I said, please feel welcome any time. I wish you both a pleasant evening. She stands and leaves, steps slow and hesitant on the stairs. Soon Mendelssohn reverberates from above. Buenaventura smiles across the table at me and sips his wine. Wow, you didn't exaggerate. Babette is a trip, just like you described, and then some. I rub my jaw and stretch. Yeah, she's pretty great besides being a total handful. Enjoyed you, though. Oh, serious? Awesome, this was so fun. Well, can I help clean up? Sure, thanks. We carry engraved plates, ornate bowls, a large serving platter, and crystal glasses to the sink. I wash while Buenaventura dries. The hum of Babette's orchestra upstairs accompanies our work. Next, he wipes down each counter with a sponge, and I take out the recycling. Back inside, I drain my wine glass, then fill it again. The bottle is still half full. Well, buena. Do you want a tour of the library? Absolutely. I lead the way downstairs, Samos in hand, and show Buenaventura my professor's shrine to literature. He trails his fingers across antique bindings that contain 18th century translations of Latin classics, old French picaresque novels, and at last the World War II section, where Hitler's Mein Kampf sits surrounded by related biographies and texts. His eyes narrow. So it's true then. What is? What people say. Oh, what do people say? Like I was joking about earlier, that you live with a real Nazi? Everyone knows you're her boy toy. I chuckle. Hardly. She's a menace to the ladies, but not me. But is she a Nazi? Well, that's a complicated story. Must you go soon? Buenaventura shakes his head. 
I turn up the gas fireplace and move piled copies of Le Figaro, a conservative French political magazine, from the orange couch. Well, sit down then. I'll tell you what I know. Here, have some more wine. He leans back and takes a drink as I begin. More than two hours later, Buenaventura still reclines beside me. His eyes reflect a warm glow from flames that hiss over the iron logs. It's unbelievable. You're so fortunate being part of this. Yeah, it's been an experience. You didn't really answer my original question, though. Oh, is she a Nazi? Well, technically, no. She was too young during the war, and not being German, that wasn't possible. However, I suspect she would have joined, given a chance. It's difficult explaining, but I'll try. Are you familiar with Hans-Jürgen Masakoy? Doesn't sound familiar. I stand up and remove a hardcover book from the World War II section. I pass it to Buenaventura, whose eyes widen in surprise. The cover features a young black boy, stoically posing in sepia tone, a swastika medallion pinned on the front of his sweater. Masakoy is a black man who grew up in Germany during the same time period as Babette. He experienced discrimination, but in many ways less than was legally sanctioned in the American South. Masakoy was just as patriotic as any white German, so it's unsurprising he tried joining the Hitler Youth and felt heartbroken they excluded him. The thing is, he admired Hitler and Nazism because he lived insulated from their most negative aspects. In parts of Germany where significant black minorities existed, they were murdered under the Third Reich. But Masakoy never heard about that until the end of the war. Babette is a similar creature. Her wealthy family lived just across the Spanish border during the Civil War, and of course they supported the fascist version of events. Even during World War II, things went well for the Bonifants until Germany started losing. By fighting communism, they taught her Hitler was saving Western civilization, no matter how many others got crushed in the process. I guess the difference is Masakoy stopped believing in Nazism once he learned what happened to most black Germans, and Babette, well got kind of stuck in those days. Maybe because she's a historian. Once you discover what horrible things humans have done over the millennia, it's hard viewing any one group as the embodiment of evil. She always talks about how if people fixated on atrocities Great Britain carried out in South Asia, the Union Jack would be as reviled as a swastika. We just live in a racist society that counts non-white people in their lives as less valuable currency than Europeans. Babette selectively views Hitler as great, just like the English selectively revere Queen Victoria as great. Anyway, she has some pretty bizarre ideas, but nobody's getting hurt. The last Portland Nazis got chased out of town years ago. I see a lot of activists still fighting with a World War II mindset, but things are more complicated now. It's less sensational, but just as important opposing corporate bankers and hedge fund managers. People who wear suits instead of clan hoods. Buenaventura sets down his empty glass. It's hard not feeling overwhelmed by all this. I divide the scant remaining splashes of wine between us. Sorry, I didn't invite you over purely to justify our local friendly fascist. Oh, no, that's fine. So, you live down here also, is that right? True, my quarters are in the pantry. I'll show you. Buenaventura follows me through the folding glass streetcar door into my chamber and looks around curiously. Wow, check out all those canned goods. Oh my god, another whole shelf? You really are prepared down here. I throw my arms wide. You should have seen it before the purge. This train table is awesome. Does it work? Probably. 
It looks like all the equipment is set up. I don't mess with Babette's trains. You can see she spent a ton of time on the papier-mâché mountain and everything. This is just spectacular. It's like living in a museum. I mean, you don't have a ton of room down here, but it's cozy. How long have you stayed here anyway? I think for a moment. About a year and a half by now. Buenaventura glances at my alarm clock. It reads 10.55 p.m. I should probably leave soon. Buses don't run late out in the numbers where I live. Stay, if you like. That would be nice. Thanks. You can sleep in my room, or the library couch folds out also. I don't mind it here. Buenaventura sits down on my bed and unlaces his Doc Martens boots. I walk upstairs to brush my teeth, and by the time I return, he is snuggled under the blankets. Long black hair covers the pillow, and his clothes are neatly folded on the floor. I undress, switch out the lights, and climb in beside him. We lie silent for a moment, then move closer. Buenaventura takes my right hand and clasps it to his bare chest. A rough odor fills my lungs. He turns around and warm breath caresses me. Tender lips crush against mine and his back flexes as we cling together. 